love when that song says, I don't know why, but I'm grateful. He doesn't have to. He doesn't make a way because we're so good and because we've made all the right decisions, but he makes a way because he is a God of grace. That is praiseworthy this morning. Amen. I just want to give an invitation to my, my uh, well, just an introduction, well, uh, hello, to my, my start, starting today by saying hello to, to my lovely wife, and I uh, just want to introduce her, that's what I'm trying to get out this morning, you got me, you got me stumbling over my words this morning, so I just want to introduce her to everyone, um, my lovely wife Ashley, she's been watching online, but she's joining us today, so I'm so grateful to have her with us. We are right at 34 weeks pregnant, and so we're super grateful and thankful for that and just praising God for that. And so uh, just want to introduce her to everybody. And yeah, glad, glad to be at church together. <laughs> amen, amen. Well, uh, today uh, we'll be wrapping up the Church in the Wilderness series, and it has been an absolute pleasure and a blessing to be with you guys. This has definitely been a joy for me, and I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to Pastor Greg and all of y'all, how hospitable and how kind that you have been. And so I look forward to doing this again one day, someday, but it truly has been a blessing to open up the Word of God and spend some time with y'all and get to know you all, uh, get to know you all more. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, uh, one last time for this series, meet me in Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11. That's Matthew chapter 4 verses 1 through 11. So as we close out church in the wilderness, we have seen how Israel has navigated the wilderness and they didn't always navigate it well, but there's one who navigated the wilderness perfectly. And that is our King Jesus Christ. And so we're going to look at today how he navigates the wilderness and he is the greater Israel who walks in perfect obedience in the wilderness. So I will read that for us, Matthew chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And a tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle, pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him the word of God for the people of God. Let's go before our king and pray. Father God, we thank you for the opportunity to hear your word and to hear this testimony of Jesus in the wilderness. It gives us hope how, of how you conquered the devil and even in some ways give us a roadmap 
or how to navigate the wilderness of our own lives. And I pray that you would move me out of the way this morning. I pray that I would decrease and that you would increase and be made much of. Speak to your people this morning. It's in your mighty son's Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Several years ago, I had the privilege of going to Belo Horizonte, Brazil. It's, it was a, a nice time there. We spent two months there doing a mission trip on a college campus in Belo Horizonte. And so when we weren't on campus, one day we decided to take a, a trip to uh, the, the hills and to go hiking in the hills. And it had some very tall hills that you could look up and oversee the entire city. And so it was, it was a, a good opportunity for us just to get away and, and have a little fun. But along the way, uh, we, we got lost on our way down these hills. And someone warned us not to be there at night because at night it gets cold and you can't really find your way out because it gets really dark, there are no lights, and even some animals might even come out at night. And so it was starting to get dark and we didn't know where we were going. So we made our way down the hill. And we ended up on the other side of it, of the hill, opposite of where we parked. So now we're in the middle of nowhere. It's kind of wooded. It's getting dark. And now, you know what happens? You got a group of 10 people. People are trying to, you know, pitch their plans. Some people are saying, well, we need to go back in because if we go back in, we can find our way out. And then some people are saying, well, we don't need to go back in because if you go back in, you'll get lost. So we need to stay right here. But it's like, well, this is the middle of nowhere. So we're confused. We're Americans. We're in Brazil. None of us know what we are doing and where we or where we are going. We needed someone who had navigated the wilderness before. We needed someone who knew the way. By God's grace, some, uh, such a person drove by, and one of our friends took the risk. We, we, somebody had to take the risk. They got in the car with this person, <laughs> and they had to trust that person not to kidnap them. But anyway, they got in the car with that person. That person took them to, to our car, and I mean our van, rather, and we got out. We, but we needed someone who knew their way. We needed someone who knew their way through the wilderness. We needed someone to navigate it well. In the story of Israel in the wilderness, they did not navigate it well. They made a ton of mistakes and a ton of errors. They worshipped idols. They, uh, they, they, they gossiped and complained about uh, God's leaders. And so th there were many times where they didn't navigate it well. But as we look at the New Testament and look at Jesus Christ, we get a picture of one who navigated the wilderness perfectly. Jesus entered into this wilderness, and he's going to give us an example of how to follow God in the wilderness and how to navigate it well. And this is especially important for us as Christ followers in 2020, because we're at a point in history where we need a Savior to show us how to navigate the wilderness of this world, because we're living in a very, very wild time, and the wilderness of this current world can get very, very disorienting, dealing with issues such as just COVID and all of that comes with that, and issues of race and political tension, economic instability, and then we start asking questions of like, well, who do we listen to, and who's right, and who's telling the truth, and who's for real, and before you know it, it's just a very disorienting thing. But thanks be to God that we have a Savior who knows the wilderness and has overcome the wilderness. Jesus is the perfect Son of God who navigates the wilderness perfectly. 
And as we come to our text, we see Jesus being led into the wilderness by the Spirit of God. This was after Jesus was baptized. Uh, this is after he had already been affirmed by God. And this is before he begins his earthly ministry. So after the baptism, he goes into this wilderness, the Judean wilderness. It is very hot. It could get up to 100 degrees. It was a very hot and uncomfortable place. And he's not eating meals to counter the elements of the wilderness because he's fasting. He's going to be fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, as a matter of fact. And he's been tempted by Satan in the wilderness. And Satan is appealing to the humanity of Jesus. And so we know that Jesus was fully God and fully man, both at the same time, completely. And so Jesus' humanity is being tempted. And he, so he, he's actually hungry. He's actually uh, physically hungry, physically tired. And here is Satan approaching him in this moment of a moment of physical weakness. And this has been Satan's strategy all throughout history to tempt God's people in their, in their weaknesses. As we know, Israel has succumbed to this. But let's take a look at how Jesus navigates this temptation, which leads us to our first point. Jesus modeled for us how to battle the lust of the flesh because that's what he's being tempted with. Now, Jesus was sinless. We know that, but he is being tempted the lust of the lust of the flesh. Matthew chapter four verses one and two it says, "Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting forty days and forty nights, the Scripture says he was hungry. The Son of God was hungry." So, with that being said, he was led up to be tempted. Some scholars believe that Satan was given a certain permission to torment Jesus, to even maybe even touch his physical body. This is a, a, a dark experience. Satan himself is, is attacking him with this temptation. But this is God's will. He was led up by the Spirit to go through this. So a side note here, hard times are not always a punishment. Sometimes it's just literally a part of the path that God has for us. It's part of our sanctification journey. It's a part of what God is doing to fulfill righteousness in our lives. Jesus hadn't done anything to deserve being attacked, if you will, but this was a part of the journey. This was a part of God's plan. So as we continue, the verses 3 and 4, it says that the tempter came and said to, said to him, if you are, and that's going to come up a lot, this if question, if you are the son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. How, how tempting is that? You're hungry, it's scorching hot, you're weak, you're tired, and you have the ability to turn the stones into bread. Now, I love bread just like everyone else. I like cornbread. I like dinner rolls. I like old Charlie's rolls. My favorite are the cheddar biscuits from Red Lobster. Those are so scrumptious and good. <laughs> I know we got to get to lunch, but... <laughs> But Jesus had the ability to make any of that appear. But, but, but thanks be to God, he, he didn't. This, this Judean desert was, was filled with rocks, and he could have easily just touched any one of them and, and made them turn into, turn into food. Satan is offering Jesus the easy way out, and that is often what he does in our lives 
as well. But Jesus replies, he counters with the word of God. He counters that deception and that temptation with the truth of God's word. Verse 4, he says, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Look at him go. Look at our Savior go. Look how he handles this temptation. He, he, he fights against this temptation to, to satisfy his own hunger. He counters this with the word of God. This is what Israel should have done, but now our, our King Jesus handles it, handles it right. He's fulfilling all righteousness. He is the greater Israel. This is what Adam and Eve should have done. This is what Israel should have done. This is what King David should have done. He walks in perfect obedience, choosing the greater portion, which is the word of God. Oh, what danger we find ourselves in when we are led away by the desires of the flesh. Because we have no idea of where the flesh will lead us, and we have no idea of how costly it will be. I, I think of the heartbreaking news. I said it's been a, a rough week. I think of the heartbreaking news that I heard this week of uh, Jerry Falwell Jr., the now former president of Liberty University, the largest Christian university in the country, uh, led away by the flesh, uh, facing great shame in the midst of this, this scandal. And I say that not to point fingers at Jerry Falwell Jr. or to cast, cast stones at him and his family as they go through this very tough time in, the, in this, this scandal uh, in, in, the, in their family. Because I know that if not but by the grace of God, that can be any of our stories. Any of us can have that kind of story. But quite often when I come across such a heartbreaking story like that, uh, just like anybody else, I have to ask the question, what makes a person just throw their life away like that? What makes a person just uh, fall into something like that? What makes you just throw, throw your life away? Yeah, what, what makes a person do that? How do you end up on that path? And the reality is, when it comes to the lust of the flesh, most of us don't just walk and just like fall into it. Most of the time, it's, it's, it's literally a, it's, it's a walk. It's compromise. After compromise, after compromise, and Satan lures an individual slowly over time. It's usually not just like a whoop in, in, in that. It's, it's, it's something that takes, uh, it's a process. And I, for the sake of our time, I would just like to call that just the, the walk of destruction. And I, and I define that walk of destruction as a slow walk built upon sinful patterns over time that eventually and in destruction. That's the destruction of one's personal life, family, health, impact in God's kingdom. And I say that because any of us who are alive and breathing are susceptible. And, and so I just wanted to look at how, how does this start? And, and it's a walk. And it starts with a prevision. We'll just start that. That's the first step. It's the prevision. That's the first step in this walk of destruction. It's the lust of the eye. It's where Satan gets your eye. He gets your attention. And he gets your attention off God. Maybe he gets your attention on yourself. But he begins to lure you. And if he gets your eye, he can eventually get your heart. And, and, and that's what uh, Satan is even trying to, to get at with Jesus. He, he's trying to get his eye to look at 
these stones and to turn them into to something else that could that could bring some relief to him. And so Satan begins with this lust of the eye, and it can come off as innocent. Or, or, or not so dangerous, a small little TV ad, a seemingly harmless flirt, but that's the first step. You get, you get the prevision. The next step in that walk is, is the permission. This is when a person yields to the flesh and actually lets the flesh have its way. This is exactly what Satan is trying to accomplish here with Jesus. He's trying to get Jesus to give himself permission to eat the bread. Surely you can eat the bread. Surely you deserve it. You owe it to yourself. So that's you had the prevision. Now you give permission, and, and that's that next step. Well, the next step after that is provision. That's when you begin to support your own habit, if you will. That's when you sow into the idolatry or the addiction. We saw this with Israel. Israel literally took the gold from, from Egypt, and they began to make a golden calf with it. This is. Making, uh, making provision, making time for something, spending resources on things, making a place for, for this. Um, I'll just use this example. In America, and this is a, it's a horrible statistic, but it's a true one. It says that the pornography industry in America grosses more annual revenue than pro baseball, pro football, pro basketball, and pro hockey combined. Because people are literally making provisions, provisions for the flesh. And the last step in this walk of destruction is the step that none of us want to take because this is the step that is very difficult to come back from. This is the step that once people take this step, we ask questions like, how did they end up all the way over there? How did that happen? Why did that just blow up all of a sudden like that? And this is the step of perversion. They start off with a prevision, just the rest of the eye. You give permission, you give it some license to operate in your life. You make provision, you actually start uh, resourcing that thing and making room for it in your life. And before you know it, Satan can have a stronghold in your life and you end up in a place called perversion where none of us want to be. But thanks be to God our Savior looked Satan right in the face and said no. He says, I have a greater purpose than to serve the cravings of my flesh. Jesus had the power to do whatever he wanted. He could turn those stones into bread. As a matter of fact, later on in the story, we see him feed thousands of people with two fish and five loaves. He had the ability to do this, but he knew that his purpose wasn't to serve himself, but to serve God and to serve others. Mark 10, 45 says, For the Son of God did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This whole idea of serving myself by turning these stones into flesh is off of mission for Jesus. He had a greater a greater purpose than that. And he also knew that the nourishment and satisfaction found in his obedience to the will of the Father was far greater than anything else he could experience. Jesus knew that apart from God's word, the things of this world mean nothing. And someone today might feel trapped by the lust of their flesh. Someone might feel ashamed. But friends, there was there was power in the name of Jesus. He 
overcame the lust of the flesh for you. And he can break the chains and the bondage of any sin. He overcame the lust of the flesh for you. And he gives you his perfect record. That win over Satan in the desert is transferred over to your account. If you are in Christ. And on a more practical note, don't be afraid to ask for help. Don't be afraid to ask for help in moments of weakness. Cry out to Jesus. Cry out to a friend. And don't even be ashamed to cry out to a counselor. There's nothing wrong with that either. Sometimes we need Jesus and therapy. And it can, it can be good for us. Which leads us to our, our next point. Jesus shows us how to handle an identity attack from Satan. Jesus shows us how to handle an identity attack from Satan. One phrase that keeps coming up in the form of a question is this. If you truly are the Son of God, if you truly are the Son of God, that keeps coming up. If you truly are the Son of, Son of God, eat this, do that. Right? If you truly if, if you truly are the Son of God, and He's attacking the very nature of who Jesus is. And he's doing this when when Jesus is tired. And worn out. And and anyway, Satan just loves to attack our identity anyway. He loves to do this. He loves to poke and pride at our identity to confuse us about our worth and our value. And he's even willing to do this to Jesus, so I know he'd do it to you or I. Matthew 4, 5 through 7. Says, and the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, yourself down for it's written he will command his angels concerning you on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against the stone in other words Jesus God loves you and will protect you right but then well let's put that to the test let's see if God really does love you Are, are you really loved are you really worthy of love Let's prove that you're really worthy of love. And even even quote scripture to just sprinkle that in there. Satan is trying to tempt Jesus into a performance trap. Do something so that the Father can display his love for you. Let's prove that you really are worthy of love. And the devil loves to do that. He loves to poke and pride at us. To, to get us to try to perform for something that if we are in Christ that we already have. And Jesus knew what he already had because he had already been affirmed by the Father when he was baptized. When Jesus was baptized, God said to him, this is my son, Jesus right here, this is my son with whom I am well pleased. This is pre-earthly ministry. This is pre-him doing all those great miracles. This is pre-going to the cross. Before Jesus does anything, God is already pleased with him. And here we have Satan trying to throw him off and to trick him into some kind of performance trap to do something so God can display his love. But Jesus knew who he was and the Father had already said, this is my son right here, this one. And I'm well pleased with him. And he doesn't have to do anything to prove anything. To, to prove anything to anyone. 
is if we're not careful, we can fall into that trick, uh, that, 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 that workaholism, people pleasing, uh, allowing ourselves to remain in abusive situations because we're, we, we're not sure of our value and our worth and how, how loved we truly are. But Jesus does not fall into this performance trap. Verse 7, he says, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus responds with the word of God. When the devil tries to confuse us about our identity, our worth, we don't have to look any further than the word of God to find the truth. And I just want to encourage someone, God already delights in you. If you are in Christ, when Jesus, when you are in Christ, when God sees you, he sees his perfect son, Jesus. He gave you a new identity and a new record. You are delighted in and loved. You don't have to prove that to anyone. You don't have to prove that to anyone. I'll say it again. The performance trap is, is, is not necessary. God loves you. You don't have to prove that to anyone. And lastly, we see that Jesus overcomes the pride of life through humility and perfect submission to the Father's will. The devil's going to keep going. He's going to keep testing him. Verse 8. The devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all of the kingdoms of the world in their glory. And he said to him, all of these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Once again, Satan is offering this easy way out. One thing we know, we know this, the scriptures let us know that Satan is the lowercase g, and I say lowercase g, he's the lowercase g God of the systems of this world. So he's not, he's not the king of the universe, he's not the God of the universe, but the system of this world and how this world operates, Satan sits at the top of that, and he's offering Jesus uh, the throne, he's offering him uh, the kingship of this world. Who knows? This could be a sweet deal. Maybe Jesus doesn't have to go to the cross and experience that shame and torment. But King Jesus knew the truth. He knew that at some point, he knew that every he knows that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. That he knows that this wilderness. It's temporary, and that Satan's reign is but for a short amount of time. So he does not have to yield to this petty request. Jesus instead quotes the scriptures to Satan again, doing what Israel should have done in the wilderness when they bowed down to the golden calf. But Jesus says, uh, I will have no other gods. Verse 10 says, Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and, and him only shall you serve. And at this point, Satan gets it, that he's not going to get Jesus, and that Jesus is not going to bow down to him because Jesus knows who he is, and he knows what he is there for. It says that the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and were ministering to him. Jesus was tired, so the angels came and ministered to him, but it was a temporary battle, and it was just a part of the process. As we close this series, I want to encourage someone that the wilderness is temporary, but God's glory lasts forever. The wilderness 
It's temporary. It might be painful in that temporary moment. But God's glory lasts forever. On this side of eternity, we will experience the wilderness and some days will be tougher than others. But the glory of God that will be revealed in the end will last forever. Romans 8.18 says this, and I'll close with this. Romans 8.18, this is Apostle Paul. He says, For I consider that the suffering of this present time the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. We, we will fail in the desert, but King Jesus does not fail. And we can cling to him as we go through the wilderness. He has already faced our biggest foe and won. And the good news for us is that even when we feel lost, we serve a king who knows his way through the wilderness. As we go through these challenging times in our world, we can cling to the one who knows his way. Let's pray. Father God, we come to you in your mighty son's Jesus' name, thanking you for defeating our enemy. Thank you for living a perfect life of obedience, because we don't. We all fall short, God. But God, you, you did it right. You, you lived in perfect submission to the will of the Father, and you walked in perfect obedience. And we thank you that you transfer their righteousness over to us. And I pray for your children that they would live in light of that new identity of their righteousness. God, I pray that we wouldn't fall into the performance traps that this world tries to place on us that we would know how loved and valued and valuable we are and that we would live out of that identity as sons and daughters of God. And lastly, Father, I pray that you just would protect our paths from that path of destruction. God, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, we thank you and we love you. This is your mighty son, Jesus' name we pray. Amen.